from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God.
first reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Listen for and hear the word of God. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who want who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is a true gift and a delight to have the little disciples in our midst. And for those that would like to join, uh, Miss Katie over there for Godly Play, I invite you at this time to come on over and join her for Godly Play. Knowing, of course, that God will be with you there, even as God is with us here. What a joy it is to have children in worship. Our second scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew as well, just a few pages later than the one that Florida just read. You can find it on page 30 of the Pew Bible. It's Matthew 27, 27 through 32. Listen now for a word from God. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him away. To crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving and living God, send your Holy Spirit upon this ancient text and upon our hearts that it might be for us a living and active word, that it might cut us to the core, that we might be a transformed people, even as we seek to follow in the way of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure you all remember that for the six Sundays in Lent, we are focusing on one of the characters that we encounter in the narratives about Jesus' crucifixion. Last week, Rebecca started our series with her sermon on Pontius Pilate. This Lenten series and our Advent series before it reminds me of the old marketing motto from the USA TV network, Characters Welcome. Indeed, this is a fitting motto for the Gospels as well. After all, they're full of characters— Good characters and bad characters, shady characters and undefined characters. Characters who appear on nearly every page of the gospel 
and others who disappear nearly as quickly as they appear. When it comes to the Gospels, characters are welcome. They add color and texture to the narrative. Richer than abstract theological treatises, they nevertheless tell us certain things about God and the human condition. More than that, they invite us to imagine these stories as they unfold, and they provide us ways to even enter into the narrative or to see our own narratives, our own stories, through the stories that they tell. It almost goes without saying that characters, whether they're biblical characters or characters from our favorite books or movies or TV shows, characters play a significant role in our culture. They're the subject of memes and coffee break conversations. They inspire Halloween costumes and BuzzFeed polls. They help us to see the very best in humanity in characters like Ted Lasso or Harry Potter, and also the worst in humanity in characters like Nate or the Malfoy family. I want to confess something to you. I have a thing for ambiguous or conflicted characters. Or at least that's what my viewing habits would tell me if I consider what I've watched over the last five or seven years. I have a thing for ambiguous characters. Breaking Bad, House of Cards, The Heist, and Ozark are frequent on my viewing list. I find myself drawn into stories of characters who often, against their better judgment or or volition, do morally questionable things, often to preserve their families or even their own lives. I recently finished the Netflix series Inventing Anna, a story about a fake German heiress named Anna Delvey who hobnobs with the rich and powerful in New York City. The question, who is Anna Delvey, repeats like a refrain throughout the series. Much of the show centers on a reporter named Vivian Kent who is trying to get to the bottom of just that question. Vivian interviews Anna's business associates and friends, and as she does, she gets a vastly different picture of who Anna is. Is she a con artist or the epitome of a self-starting entrepreneur? Is she a conniving manipulator or a scrappy survivor? Who is Anna Delvey? And while Vivian attempts to answer this question with her article, she also does something equally important. She shows how the character of Anna reveals certain things about our culture, about our systems, and yes, even about ourselves. So who is Simon of Cyrene? Like Vivian's article in Inventing Anna, our brief exploration of Simon will reveal different and contrasting images of this mysterious character. We may never be able to answer the, the question, who is Simon of Cyrene, with complete confidence. But by asking this question, by exploring this question, I think we have the chance to learn a few important things about ourselves and our world. 
Simon is anything but a major character in the New Testament. He occurs in only three verses in all of the New Testament, once in each gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In all of these accounts, Simon kind of shows up out of nowhere and he disappears just as suddenly. Our reading from the Gospel of Matthew identifies him as a man from Cyrene. This suggests that Simon was a native of Cyrene, a Roman colony in North Africa. We cannot know for certain if Simon was Jewish or Gentile. We don't know if he was a pilgrim visiting Jerusalem for Passover or if he had relocated there at some point earlier in his life. But one thing is clear. The narrative turns Simon into an outsider, an other. He wasn't originally from Jerusalem. He wasn't a member of Jesus' inner circle. And there is no indication that he even knew Jesus before their tragic encounter. The Gospel of Mark adds just a few more details. We learn from Mark that, that the, the account in Mark that, that Simon was the father of two sons, Alexander and Rufus. Now, these sons were apparently known or significant or important for the community around Mark, but Matthew found them unknown or unimportant for the purposes of his story. But the mention of Alexander and Rufus offers a potentially fascinating connection. In 1962, an archaeologist published a first-century inscription that was found in the Kidron Valley. On the front, the inscription reads in Greek, Alexander, son of Simon. And the back, in Hebrew, may say Alexander the Cyrenean. As New Testament scholars Davies and Allison's note, this discovery gives us the tantalizing possibility that the ossuary contained the bones of the son of the man who carried Jesus' cross. Of course, there's no way to know for certain, but it's a tantalizing possibility indeed. Who was Simon of Cyrene? The New Testament doesn't give us a lot in that question. He may have been a Jewish pilgrim or a Gentile. He's an outsider, unknown or, or unfamiliar with the city of Jerusalem. But his name and his action of bearing Jesus' cross are remembered. But that's about it. As is often the case with biblical interpretation, later interpreters have no trouble filling in the gaps or filling out the story. The history of biblical interpretation presents Simon of Cyrene as a deeply ambiguous character. And just like Vivian Kent in trying to figure out who Anna Delvey is, if we ask these later interpreters who Simon of Cyrene was, we get different and conflicting answers. He's an ambiguous character. The earliest reference to Simon in the early church is associated with a stream of theological thinking known as docetism. As a quick review, this theological position insisted that Jesus only seemed to be human. He couldn't have possibly taken on real flesh and real blood. He couldn't have possibly been hungry or had human emotions because gods don't do that. And Jesus was God. Within this stream known as docetism, 
There was a teacher named Basilides who taught in Alexandria in the second century. And he looked to the story of Simon and he said, you know what, Simon and Jesus actually traded places. Because Jesus, being God, couldn't possibly suffer on the cross. He couldn't possibly suffer the horror and the pain and the humiliation of crucifixion. Later interpreters rejected docetism and this interpretation of Simon, but it's our very first answer to who Simon was. The next answer to who Simon was and the significance of the character of Simon arises from an apparent contradiction within the New Testament itself. You see, while Matthew and Mark and Luke all agree that that Jesus needed the assistance of Simon on his way to Calvary, the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, insists that Jesus did it all on his own. There's no mention of his need for help. There's no mention of Simon in John's gospel. And so as early as the fourth century, uh, interpreters began to work to harmonize these differences. To resolve any potential conflict, they simply combine the stories. So John's story gives us the first part of Jesus' journey towards Calvary. When he's working on his own, he's bearing his own cross. But at some point, Jesus becomes tired. He runs out of energy. He's spent, and he requires the assistance of Simon. I think it tells us something about the lasting character of Simon, that answer to who Simon is, that the church preserved these potential conflicting accounts of Jesus' crucifixion in order to remember Simon and his work on behalf of Jesus. Another answer to who was Simon is that Simon represents the conversion of the Gentiles. This foreigner, this geographical foreigner, is made into a religious foreigner as well. And this stream of interpretation sees Simon helping with the cross of Christ as an anticipation of when Gentiles would accept the good news of a crucified Messiah. With an unfortunate amount of anti-Jewish sentiment, these interpreters see the Gentile Simon doing what the Jewish characters in the story could or would not do. A fourth answer to who is Simon comes by seeing Simon as the model of Christian discipleship. Simon exemplifies Jesus' call to take up one's cross and to follow Jesus, which we just heard Florida read moments ago. This brief mention of Simon stands in stark contrast to the portrait of the other disciples in the story. While Jesus' closest friends flee and deny that they even knew Jesus, this outsider, Simon, supports Jesus in his moment of greatest need. Simon of Cyrene's cross-bearing highlights the failure of another Simon. Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest allies, a member of the inner, inner circle, who flees and denies that he even knew Jesus. A fifth answer to the question, who is Simon of Cyrene, takes a surprisingly negative turn. Simon is turned into a representative of hypocrisy or false religion since he was forced or compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. 
and did not do so willingly. The earliest proponent of this view is Gregory the Great, who sees Simon as an example of begrudging Christian practice. Gregory sees in Simon of Cyrene the contrast between external actions that appear good and win praise, but do not have the accompanying inner transformation. My wife, who read this sermon beforehand, said that Gregory's kind of lame in what he does with Simon. Gregory turns Simon into a poser in need of further reformation. By all accounts, Simon is a minor character in the New Testament. His appearance in the first three gospel leaves us with more questions than answers. And the history of biblical interpretation casts him in a deeply ambiguous way. There's a variety of answers to who is Simon of Cyrene. So then what might this question of his identity teach us today? The first thing I think it teaches us is that it highlights the reality that we as individuals, as a culture, and even as a church, prefer the likes of Simon Peter to those of Simon of Cyrene. We are fascinated with those who talk a big game. We get behind those who claim to have it all figured out. We emulate those who have made it into one inner circle or another. Even among people of faith, myself included, I see more connections with Simon Peter's efforts at self-preservation than with Simon of Cyrene's selfless service. We are more prone to fight for positions of honor than to empty ourselves for the good of another. We insist on insider status, and we miss the contributions of those on the margins. We compete for a seat at the table rather than building a bigger table where all feel welcome. We consolidate power rather than finding creative ways to share it and work collaboratively. A second takeaway comes from the idea that Simon was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. As I noted earlier, Gregory sees this as an indicator of Simon's inadequacy. But I think it points to something far more significant about the powers and principalities at work in our, in our world. The Greek word here means something like press into service or, or to force or to compel, and it has a deeply political sense to it. It originally referred to the, the responsibility of occupied peoples to transport Roman soldiers. Simon is forced to participate in Rome's imperialism and brutality. Simon is forced into Rome's death-dealing system of control. Our appreciation for Simon of Cyrene shouldn't minimize the evil that compelled his service. Simon's story reminds us that there is always collateral damage when individuals, political leaders, and nations seek to consolidate and protect their power. I couldn't help but think of the citizens of Ukraine and Russia who have been conscripted, who have been forced and coerced in one way or another to support Putin's efforts to extend his domination. We might also think of those who live in the two-thirds world who are forced to bear the cross, the, the cross of climate change 
and environmental degradation, or even the essential workers and teachers who have borne an unfair burden throughout this pandemic. We can celebrate Simon's service while also condemning the exploitation of others by Rome and any other empire. Finally, I think Simon's story reminds us about the nature of discipleship and calls us once again to take up the cross with Jesus. In Simon, we see God's invitation that we join with Jesus in his salvific design and his life-giving purposes. As New Testament scholar Brian Blunt puts it, Simon's story invites us to a participatory form of discipleship. He says, one suffers not simply because Jesus suffered, one carries the cross not simply because Jesus carried it, but for the reasons that Jesus carried it. One is acting not just like him, but with him. The story of Simon and the story of Jesus is not just one of unjust suffering. It's not just a story of a price being paid for debt or for sin. It's more than a cosmic business settlement. It's a story of extending God's saving purposes, even in the midst of the world's death-dealing systems. The call to discipleship is not only a call to self-denial or self-emptying. Yes, it will require all of those things. But these are done so that God's life and love might be seen and experienced by the world. Who is Simon of Cyrene? A prop for a divergent theological tradition? An outsider and a victim of Rome's iron grip? A symbol of Gentile conversion, a, mem a model disciple. Maybe he's all of these things and even more. Maybe there's something in the way that he's remembered that, that resonates with our own experience, our own sense of ambiguity and place in this world. But as we continue on this journey of Lent, I pray that the character of Simon may help us become more accustomed to service than self-promotion. That the memory of Simon may help us to lament the victims of political dominance and overreach while at the same time working for a better world. And I hope that the memory of Simon may help us each partner with God as we take up Jesus' cross and extend his life and salvation to this broken and beautiful world that God so desperately loves. Amen.